Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined again today by Dr. Matthew Perry. He has been on a number of times. If you have missed those episodes, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to those. But today we are going to dive into more topics about all those things that no one wants to truly talk about. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Matthew Perry, thank you for joining me again today. How are you? Hey, Brianne. Thanks for having me. I'm doing wonderful. It's a sunny San Diego day, although we get a lot of those. I still appreciate it. <laughs> I've lived in some cold, cold climates growing up and <laughs> when I was younger, so I am uh, thankful for every sunny day I get. Very nice. We've had a lot more cloudy and I wouldn't say really rainy days lately, but a little bit more rain and being with the wildfire season last year and how much moisture, how much drought we're still in, like I'm okay with the rain right now because I would rather it rain now so there aren't fires and I can actually go hiking this summer. (laughs) Absolutely. I know there are way too many wildfires. I mean, especially in California too. And you know, I'm all over the country. Um, did, Did you guys get any snow? uh like you know a month ago or whatever whenever that was um we did a bit ago and then actually this past week um when we got rain here in phoenix up north got some pretty good snow and i think i heard that they restored their snow for the year so they're only three inches currently three inches below their annual average wow so they definitely caught up which is good because then that melt will come down here and help us refill our lakes and all that stuff a little bit too um so yeah, Northern Arizona did get snow, um, a couple of big storms this year. Wow. I know it was like snowing in Texas or snowing all over the place. I'm like, what? Texas? Snow? Texas, right. <laughs> and as we can see, they definitely did not know how to deal with it. Oh my God. The state was not set up to deal with it, I should say. No, they weren't. Um, yeah. Some, some people bailed and went to Cancun, but that's a <laughs> maybe another podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. All right, well, off the political side of things, let's get into our our other rant for today or two. Let's first talk about the whole knees over toes debate. Where are those knees supposed to be when we are squatting, lunging, doing all of that fun stuff? Where are the knees supposed to be? Supposed to be, you know, anywhere they need to be depending on the person right um and i'm just kind of getting right into the thick of it you know i know we have this huge huge debate you know i'm glad we're talking about it today about that if your knees go over your toes you're going to get arthritis and you're going to tear all your menisci and you know all of that kind of stuff this catastrophic stuff um but i mean it i i think through research says it's fairly unfounded you know um, I think there can be better ways to squat for sure, you know, for, for power and all of that. But, you know, um, I don't know where this thing came from that the second your knees go over your toes, something horrible is going to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, didn't you know? Yeah, everyone does that. <laughs> you know, I think in my mind, a lot of it comes down to 
what your body's able to control. So if those knees don't shift too far forward, it's essentially maybe a little bit more stable in that position. Um, but like, you know, I have fun playing around with a lot of different things and I've got myself to the point that I can go on my toes and do a squat and it does not bother my knees. It does not bother anything because I built up that stability and control to be able to do that. Um, and I, so I think that's where a lot of this plays in is when someone lets their knees, their knees shift forward, or maybe they get onto their toes a little bit, they haven't actually trained their body how to control that. And their body has no clue what to do with that and ultimately creates injuries. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, um, you know, excuse my like inflammatory comments and all that kind of stuff oh, before I'm just kind of playing around with it. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is a control thing. Um, I totally agree with that. I think um, your body can adapt to any load you place upon it. Um, you know, I personally like to um, initially train most of my clients, you know, just general population people, you know, at general population athletes, I should say to make sure they are sitting back right we know we know there's better you know potential gluteal engagement there's more stability you're in that you know pseudo tripod stance um i always make the analogy you know you don't see any, any of the linemen um in the nfl you know going to the line with like knocked knees and like you know what i mean on your their toes and all that kind of stuff right you know they're in a very very set position so um you know it is a power position um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, when you look at, uh, let's say, uh, Olympic weightlifters, right, some of the best in the game, when they're in that, you know, snatch position, you know, when they catch their snatch at the bottom, their knees are grossly over their toes, right? Um, when you see, you know, um, skiers and those kind of people, right, you know, their knees are grossly over their toes. So definitely an agreement about you know, making sure that I guess it's a trained position as opposed to an, uh, you know, an accidental position. Yeah, absolutely. And in all fairness, we still want to squat, especially with heavy load with our feet flat on the floor. So balls of the foot on the floor, heel on the floor, nice and stable. Um, but yes, that depth is going to determine where that knee is at because that ankle needs to dorsiflex that knee, or you know that shin needs to come forward a little bit and so that's going to happen the other thing that we never can discount is a person's anat person's anatomy like if someone has really long legs that's just going to shift a little bit further because that's what anatomy like the body has to get there uh, absolutely. And that's when we make sure, obviously, there are no, you know, ankle restrictions and things like that that are, you know, causing causing that um, or hip mobility issues. But um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, if somebody does have, you know, long tibias, right, or, you know, um, you know, I'd say even, you know, a lot of long femurs, right, you know, a taller person, you know, there's no way they're going to squat at the same um with the same bi biomechanics as someone like me, who's, you know, five, five, seven on a good day, <laughs> 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 you know, my squash is going to look different, you know, just like my deadlift's going to look a lot different. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we can even pull that conversation into, or this conversation into the fact that there's no perfect way to squat either. 
because that all depends on someone's anatomy. Um, I actually have a client right now who, when we start working on it, he's like, yeah, my feet always turn out when I squat and I can't correct it and did an assessment. I'm like, you're naturally externally rotated. Like that's your bone structure. You're not going to squat with your legs, with your feet straight. Like and have that discussion with him about there's no perfect way to squat because everyone's anatomy is so different in that hip joint itself. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, generally, you know, I try to talk to my patients and, you know, we'll do like a little assessment to make sure that they're not antiverted and, you know, or anything like that. But, you know, if, if we can kind of get to that neutral position, let's start there, you know, build it up. But for a lot of people, you know, who are externally rotated, like you're saying, you know, that's an simply uncomfortable position. That's a hard position for them to get in. So why are we forcing everyone to be in this one box? Right? Yeah, absolutely. It, and I think it's just the disconnect between like, there's a lot of really good trainers out there and coaches out there, but there's just a disconnect between what the anatomy actually is and how variable it can be person to person. And it goes for all movements, not just talking legs, but it goes for like upper body things too. Like some people need a wider grip on, on a snatch than others. Some people need a wider grip, um, with just like a push press than others. And it like, I used to train with a guy who could do an overhead squat with his arms pretty much in his push press position. Like wow. he just had that much mobility and stability and control in that position as well. Um, but the majority of people can't do that because that's not what the anatomy, you know, is for people. So it's just so variable between person to person. And when we constantly say like, there's just one way to move, it's just a dis- like, almost a disservice to people. It is, it is, uh, potentially doing more harm than, than good. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, you see people like, you know, Rich Froning was a, was a prime example of that, like overhead push press and that, like, you know, to snatch. And it's like, wow, that first of all, that is just phenomenal and amazing that somebody can do something like that. Their anatomy allows them to, um, but you also have people like, um, I, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, famous people, cause they're on camera doing this and you can look back on, on YouTube, like, the, the mountain, the mountain from uh, Game of Thrones, uh-huh. when he set, uh, oh, it was a couple of years ago, the was, it was like the heaviest deadlift in any like recreational like facility or something like that. You know, his deadlift form textbook was horrible. Absolutely atrocious. But are you going to tell someone like that, who's, you know, clearly trained to do something like that, that they're moving wrong and break them, you know, break their movement down and put them back to a hundred pound deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some might, but <laughs> right. So uh, I, I I love it, you know, and I love the uh, open mindset that you know people can move differently, and that is okay. And, yeah, you know, that's that's the point of part of I think being a PT. You know, we do have an in depth understanding of biomechanics, and we know there is a typical way to move. I'm trying to shy away from normal, you know, but um, we don't always have to do that to be efficient or successful. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's coming to mind now, as we kind of get further into this is going back to the knees over toes conversation and debate is like, I think the biggest thing is not necessarily the fact that your knees are going over your toes, but where are they going when they go over your toes and how is that controlled? Like, I think a lot of times what we see is 
they're going over the toes and then they're collapsing inward and we have no stability. We're on our toes and lose even more stability and control. So then we need to take a step back and figure out like, okay, the knee position is, or the fact that the knee is going over the toes isn't the problem. The problem perhaps is the lack of foot control and the lack of hip control to be able to stabilize that knee in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's definitely, you know, go back to like biomechanics real quick. Like when your knees are over your toes and you're in a squat position, yes, there are more tibiofemoral and patellofemoral forces acting on the knee, you know, 100%, right? Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're in that position, your knees are collapsing in, you know, um, and, you know, you have a lot of torso excursion and stuff like that. Well, yes, that is absolutely a control issue. You know, the person's overly pronating, does not have the support and stability to, um, you know, I, I like, as you like, I know, kind of ground up, right, you know, um, to, to control that motion. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally in agreement with that. Um, I think that um, before we put people on a bar, we need to just see how they stand, right? Oh, absolutely. Because, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That that I don't want to say is an you know quick fix, but it is an easy way to point out a whole lot of issues of oh well that's probably why you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's so much that plays into to a movement, but yeah, we always like ideally we want to look at just body weight movements and seeing how someone moves prior to throwing any sort of weight on a person. And you know if you if you can't control what your legs are doing without weight then you can't expect it all to figure out how to control it with weight. Absolutely not. Um, and, and so interesting thing, you know, with the knees tracking over toes, um, do you think, you know, a knee increased knee valgus is potentially harmful for a person? To me, it depends on when it's happening and why it's happening. Like if I'm seeing someone land a jump and every time their knees are just collapsing in or when they're running, everything's just collapsing really quickly. Um, then I'm absolutely concerned because if they can't control that, something's going to give at some point. Um, same thing for actually one of the, one of big CrossFit athletes just blew out her ACL, um, landing a heavy lift. If you don't have control of that knee and it collapses inward, like that's an ACL injury waiting to happen. It's rare to see in CrossFit, but under heavy load, like if you're valgus, if that knee's coming inward, like you can collapse that pretty easily. Yeah. You know, look at most, uh, you know, female soccer players, right? Not even pick, pick on them because they get picked on enough, but, you know, 90% of the injuries are typically going to be some kind of, you know, ACL meniscus involving thing. And, you know, the hypothesis is maybe because they, uh, you know, women with a higher Q angle, you know, a, uh, that planting and twisting, um, with that valgus position might be contributing to that. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that's interesting in CrossFit, um, something like that happening. I mean, cause they're, you know, talk about control and adaptations, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's rare to see, um, especially in the higher level for that, but um, and I don't know circumstances for how it totally happened. I just know it was a split jerk that happened with, um, but there's definitely, especially newer people to, to the sport. Um, 
any sport in general, like just seeing people jump sometimes, like I just cringe watching them, just seeing what happens with the knees. Yes. Uh, same here. Um, and, uh, I think it's a real disservice. I think it's getting better. Um, not picking on women again, but you know, like with, you know, um, I, I, I think it's all deduced to, you know, when you're younger, you know, what's happening typically with the father and the son, right? You're playing baseball and football and all that stuff in the backyard. Women are not doing that as much. And so it's a huge disservice to women because uh, not everyone, you know, learns how to move properly. This absolutely happens in the male community as well. It's just different, I think. Um, and, you know, women are so powerful in their legs, you know, um, they're losing all of it, first of all, in the knee valgus position you know, all their momentum in a jump or something like that, um, but um, also can contribute to some injuries. Yeah, absolutely. And I just had a conversation with a coach and someone else I work out with this morning um, that I, you know, I think where we start seeing a lot of it is kind of that seventh, eighth grade time frame when kids are growing, their bodies have like, I equate it to like Bambi or baby giraffe legs, like their bodies just don't know how to move with these longer limbs. Their muscles don't know how to control the longer limbs. So we see it starting a lot of times then. And I feel like at that point, it's a great time to start retraining a person. It doesn't happen. And then things never get retrained as they go then into like high school sports and collegiate level sports and, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, which is, why I think there should be more PT and movement people in the scholastic system, teaching people how to do this kind of stuff, you know, um, actually a uh, quick tangent on in my uh, undergrad, we did uh, a capstone project back in the day now. <laughs> <It's a while> <laughs> um, and uh, the, the, the project was about the jumping and landing mechanics of, of uh, kids um, that were they were all in middle school. Um, we did a whole research study and it was like a quick like fms screen because that was pretty hot at the time um and some minor corrections decreased injury significantly you know um so we we can really help people we're just you know on the whole choosing not to um yeah it's uh interesting and i think we're a good vehicle for change talking about this stuff right yeah it's all we can do is just really continuing the word out and and hopefully we'll see some change down the road but yeah, at that age, I think is when we need to start correcting things and really get ahead of things. Because once again, in high school, it doesn't happen. Exactly. Um, Bambi, that's an interesting, <laughs> I like that uh, comparison. And it's not a knock on anybody. It's, it's just that's that's how it is. You have growing limbs and little to no control, right? Yeah. You're kind of transitioning from your like mobility portion in your life to kind of that stability Uh portion you know i i was working a couple months ago with a kid he was uh, i think about 13 and um he's like six five already huge huge kid just a really tall lanky lanky kid we probably spent and as long as i probably ever spent in my life on it um probably about an hour um just working on deadlift mechanics with a dowel because, you know, he just had no proprioception, no body, um, body awareness, nothing against him. It's just, you know, um, that's just the age, right? And the, the limbs, so. Yeah, absolutely. Anything, before you transition, anything else you want to go to on kind of this mechanics topic? 
Yeah, the panics topic. Uh, it's, you know, something that's, uh, I think, oversimplified just in general. I think we've already kind of hit hit that. And, um, but the knees going over toes, just to recap, you know, it's not always inherently a horrible thing for, for people, um, but it can be a sign of some, you know, some things to come <laughs> potentially. <laughs> um and some some significant movement faults um but you know we need to make sure that our language with people is not catastrophic right because somebody who is deconditioned who might squat a little bit with their knees over over their toes um and you're telling them they have to squat a certain way like someone who's done this you know twenty thousand times you know it's probably going to turn them off exercise right they're like i I can't be perfect person like no, none of us are perfect <laughs> so true oh, we're always a work in progress <laughs> always every day <laughs> switching topics what is your view i don't think i've ever asked you this before so i have no clue where this is going to go what is your view on stretching stretching um it's another topic i'm pretty passionate about um and you know i think yes stretching is important i want to start with that because i start the other way and then people uh jump down my throat (laughs) (laughs) it is important to make sure that you maintain your mobility 100 um i think the big issue and the disconnect and this is just my opinion is how we go about doing that i think we have all of these fancy $5,000 machines and stuff to like put your leg in a pretzel position. And we hold that for 20 minutes or whatever the case is thinking that we're getting some, um, some added benefit. And, you know, I just don't personally feel um, that that's the best use of your time to to gain some mobility. Um, We'll definitely dig into it, but I I want want to to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, I kind of like, kind of like you it's not that it's absolutely irrelevant or unnecessary but I love the term mobility over stretching and doing mobility work over stretching for the whole purpose of like one we hear people who like I feel like there's this cat this categorization people we have these people who get injured and say well it's because he wasn't stretching We have this group of people who do yoga and stretch frequently and still get injured. We have these people who are injured, start stretching and it doesn't help. And we have like professional athletes who, you know, have a team behind them to make sure they stay moving well and they get injured. So at the end of the day, is stretching really the solution to things? Probably not. Is it helpful? Maybe. Is it going to hurt you? Probably not. Um, I think when we use it as in like end all be all solution for things, that's when it's problematic. If we use it as a, like, you know what? I just feel a little tight. I did a hard workout. Let's stretch out a little bit. Not necessarily a bad thing to do. Yes. Um, absolutely. Very, very well said. And you're, you're right. You know, we have people who do and don't stretch at every rung of, of the ladder um, when it when it comes to to sports and and movement, um, but you know I don't think that stretching is the reason why most of these people are you know have long careers why 
Tom Brady's doing, you know, his thing as long as he's doing right. You know, um, I think he attributed that. And I think in his book or whatever, but there are plenty of professional athletes who stretch, who still get injured. (laughs) 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 Plenty. Um, and, and, you know, I think we have a really big misperception with, uh, that, you know, um, being able to touch your toes or whatever is something that everyone should be doing and that it's going to mean that you have a pain-free and and completely healthy life. Um, I'm much more of a proponent of um, trying to get to the root cause of why that muscle might be tight in the first place because barring any, you know, significant medical issues, you know, the body typically will not just get tight for no reason. It's not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm tight. You know, <laughs> you know, um, and this is obviously an oversimplification, but, you know, when we decide or when we um, when we do feel tight and we go straight to stretching, I think we're overlooking, you know, what kind of muscular imbalances, what kind of strength deficits we have on some of the adjacent or opposing um, um, muscle areas. Right. And then again, how do we go about doing that stretching? Um, is it sitting on a machine for 15 minutes, stretching your hamstrings, or is it, you know, hey, maybe working on some gluteal like coordination and activation, maybe some core stability to help release that. I like to say kind of giving those muscles, you know, um, some reinforcements, you know, so, so they are not overworked and over, overly stressed. Yeah. And not to say someone can't wake up one day and just be tight, but, you know, if you did a bunch of deadlifts a day before cool. Your hamstrings are probably going to be tight and they probably should be. (laughs) But I think it's when it comes down to that chronic tightness of, I need to stretch this muscle every single day in order to actually work out or in order to function. Like that's when we are looking at what's the actual cause of this. Cause no muscle just stays tight every day, just because it wants to. Yes, absolutely. Great. uh, Great distinction with that. And yeah, we're kind of distinct. uh, The distinction is, you know, doms versus you know, a chronic, chronic muscle tightness. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was really interesting. Um, I heard this a long time ago, someone talking about, you know, the different types of stretching, dynamic stretching, ballistic stretching, of course, static stretching, which, you know, um, I was referring to before. And, you know, what is the real method of that? And what, what is the research saying about, we'll say static stretching and is that actually making the muscle looser day to day, right? Overall, and I think this consensus, contemporary consensus is that it's, it's not, um, they're not doing much, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's take a quick break now to talk about OS first compression and bracing. It is commonly known that compression helps with circulation. We see that medically, decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights, using compression to decrease swelling. And even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though, is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. 
long-term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com slash partners, get a direct link to OS First, as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. I think the other downfall, and or I don't even want to say downfall, but the thing that people don't realize too is, okay, so if you want to stretch, cool, stretch. But what you're doing is you're lengthening a muscle. You're letting a joint move a little bit more, temporarily at least. But the body doesn't know what to do with that. Like you've now just created an unstable joint because you've loosened a muscle that was stabilizing that joint or allowing it to move to a certain range. You've increased the range. It has no clue what to do with it. So one, you're potentially going to injure yourself when you attempt to go use it. Or two, it's just going to tighten back up because you never taught yourself how to use that range. Yep. If you gain the range, you have to train the range, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's it's so important to, uh, to understand that. And I think we're just getting kind of back to that, you know, whole, like, well, what, what else is like causing that chronic, you know, muscle tightness, you know, why, you know, it's the, you know, the efficacy of things. Right. Um, and you know, I like the idea of even kind of looking at stretching, um, we'll call it dynamically as functional strengthening. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, because as, as you put whatever muscle through a range of motion, you have the co-contraction, right. You know, assuming it's dynamic, you have, um, all these other mechanisms that are, um, you know, kind of working together and further training your body to do like whatever, you know, it needs to do. But when you're just sitting, you know, with your leg up in the air for, for 10 minutes, um, like you said, your body has no idea what to do with that. Okay, cool. It's, it's looser. Now, now what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that was, fun. <laughs> what was that? like, it was like, that was fun. Now what? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, and the other thing is, can our time be better used to do other things that are really going to correct our, our, our movement faults? You know, that's the age old question. And, you know, I don't, um, you know, I'm not probing people with the EMGs and I'm not testing muscle, you know, fiber length and stuff like that in the lab. Um, but yeah, can, can it be used, uh, to do some different, some, some different stuff? Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I, I definitely think they're. I guess that's the best way to put it is what's, how we're using that time most effectively. Um, and yeah, doing different things to get the body moving better is definitely going to be more effective. So therefore more worth your time to do than just spending time stretching. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'll always tell my patients, like, if it makes you feel good, definitely stretch. Like you said earlier, Brianne, like you're, you're, likely not doing any harm, you know, and it'll probably make you feel good, you know, but, you know, I do very, very little quote unquote stretching in in my practice. Um, And, 
we're still getting some great results as far as people's hamstrings loosening up, you know, or whatever, you know, and people's, you know, uh, all, you know, a lot of their muscles, um, through, uh, loosening through strength, strengthening exercises. So, I mean, what does that tell me that tells me that, you know, again, maybe we're calling in some reinforcements for that, you know, maybe overworked muscle, right? Yeah. You know, we, we like to think of it as an underused muscle, but I mean, it could go the other way too. Um, for tightness. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious though, when talking about not say underused, but um, we both know the research is showing a lot of people are talking about how harmful sitting is for us and how many things it just creates in our bodies negatively. Um, when it comes to like sitting, it does tighten up the, like it, it gives the feeling of the hips, hips being tighter. Um, we do see decreased range of motion from people who sit all the time. What things do you do with your clients, with your athletes to start loosening up those hips when, if it's due to just like someone literally sitting for 10 hours a day? Just the chronic sitters, like, like most of us nowadays, <laughs> especially at our, um, kitchen tables and stuff like that doing work. Right. Well, Matthew and I are both standing right now. Just a we are, we are <laughs> good, good point. Um, but yeah, you know, I, again, this is an oversimplification, but you know, I just say whatever position you are in most of the day, try your best to do the opposite, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if your head's going forward, cause it's the end of the day and your shoulders are rolling forward and all that kind of stuff, you know, Hey, how about do the opposite, you know, opposite thing of that. Right. Again, super oversimplification of stuff, but um, if there's a lot of truth to it, right? Um, we have a whole lot of people who have their, you know, periscapular musculatures that are, you know, either uncoordinated, weak, just not working right, whatever the case is, um, with our chronic sitters. Um, guess what? We have a lot of people with tension headaches who whose ears also, you know, protrude, uh, you know, in front significantly in front of their um, of their bodies, right? with that forward head. So um, just as a general rule of thumb, it's always about doing the opposite. Our body does not like, and we were not built to sit at a desk for 60 hours a week and then go to the couch, which is almost the same thing and watch Netflix for the rest of that time, right? Great way to put it. Just, yeah, whatever you normally are in, do the opposite. Like that can fix a lot of problems with the body. A whole lot of problems, but, but it's interesting, you know, because in my opinion, you, you can, you can sit like crap and you can stand like crap too. Right. Absolutely. You know, look, look at anybody in the grocery store because it's COVID. So like we have longer lines in the grocery store, typically when they're sitting on their couch or sorry, uh, sitting at their, uh, at their cart in line, you know, their hip is popped out to one side. They're just resting on their ligaments. Right. Mm -hmm you know, their shoulders are still forward and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's important to have a good understanding of, of, uh, you know, how to quote unquote properly, you know, be, and again, this is just more typical than, than normal. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point too, that yes, being more upright is going to be better than sitting, but how you stand definitely plays into it. And even down to, you know, personal experience and actually a client dealing with it right now, down to how the feet are positioned. Like I started realizing, um, several months ago, I started realizing, I think it was after 
Matt Zanis pointed out to me that I like just want to supinate all the time. Um, I realized that like standing in the kitchen doing things, I'm standing in a supinated position. Like I just was avoiding that even tripod position. Um, and anything you do standing can carry over or will carry over to your daily activities just because like your body moves how it moves unless you retrain it. And so it's something I've been very much more aware of personally is let's stand on that tripod. Let's make sure we use our, um, you know, get that foot in a good position. So when I go do my other activities, running, lifting, whatever, um, I more naturally will go to that tripod position or to that pronated position than when necessary. Yeah. At the end of the day, this stuff's not rocket science, right? It's all learned behavior. And if you're doing it the right way, more than you're doing it the wrong way, well, guess what? You know, um, you're just going to be better off from it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I like that uh, tripod position, doming the arches and stuff like that um, for a whole lot of reasons. Because speaking of standing, you know, there are a lot of people who like locking their knees mm-hmm. when they stand, right? As soon as you dome your arches or have that tripod position, um, guess what? That typically goes away pretty quickly. And, you know, if we're not resting on our ligaments, we're probably going to be better off our passive structures, right? (laughs) Use our active structures, be actively doing things as best as possible. You know, there's a a local biotech company uh, that I have a relationship with, you know, um, they decided they were going to spend an un godly amount of money, I think it was somewhere about a million dollars to get everybody in the building standing desks because they thought it would, you know, improve everyone's health and, you know, all the carpal tunnel will go away, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I later found out that the carpal tunnel incidences didn't change much, you know, um, and um, a lot of like the workers comp stuff hadn't changed much. And yes, standing is holistically better for you than sitting but um that just goes to show you like you know you can't just give somebody a tool and not give them any information on what to do with that tool right Mm -hmm. that's really interesting um research there is because you do like normally attribute or we as clinicians attribute so many injuries to that sitting position so just to see that like just by standing is not going to solve all your problems. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and, and it's much better for you to, you know, to alternate those positions and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think our bodies just do not like these static positions. You know, if you were just to stand, you know, if you're like, what is it? Cows stand when they sleep. If, If we were like that, right. And just stood all the time, you know, I think we'd have some different issues, but we'd still have some some issues right and i'm not talking about walking around i'm talking about just statically standing um you know just like sitting in that that position you know you're just not you know there's no inhibition in the joints you know there's no you know muscle co-contraction it's just bad for us we weren't built like that anyone who thought we were built to sit and stand the desk stand or sit at a desk uh, is sadly mistaken (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) all good (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've always, as long as I can remember, I've been a very fidgety person. Like I can't just sit still. I'm always like every couple minutes, I feel like I'm shifting weight somewhere and like crossing one leg and crossing the other leg. And 
and even standing, it's like, I'll shift be on one foot for a little bit, then be on the other foot for a little bit and constantly changing. But I'm like thinking about it and knowing what I know about static positions. I'm like, it's probably done me a lot of good over my entire life. I completely agree with that. That's really cool. And, and, and for anyone listening, I mean, that is a great, you know, and this isn't, we haven't evaluated anyone who's listening, but so take it with, with it what you will. Um, but standing on one leg, right, you know, while doing some of your work or while you're doing the dishes, right? Um, you know, most people have the tiles or the wood or whatever in their in their kitchens, like kind of walking along the, the, the cracks of the tile in the kitchen, right? Those are just super tangible, easy ways to, to, to change the position and kind of get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whatever you can do to kind of change it and play around with movement is always going to be beneficial. Yeah. What I do is I pace when I, when I talk on the, uh, on the phone. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've been getting in like 10,000 steps a day, like for most of my life, <laughs> which is what I do. I'm just always walking around. That's awesome. <laughs> I do the same thing. I was like, if I know I'm going to call some, like call my parents or just call someone that I'm going to be on the phone for a while. It's like, I'll just like literally wait until I'm going to go for a walk. I'm like, same thing. I'm like, I just don't want to just like sit here and talk. I'd rather nope. move. Nope. It's, it's hard for me to, to sit and talk into the microphone during an hour long podcast. I just, I, know, right? I just want to move. I just want to do stuff. I agree. Awesome. What else is on your mind today? We have about 15 minutes left. 15 minutes. Oh, I got all kinds of stuff always on my mind, but, um, <laughs> How about, and this is kind of uh, a little bit different, but uh, I think along the same the same lines, um, so will be kind of at a right field. Um, do you think that there are better ways to try to assess our pain? Uh, um, you know, it's either you know, but from us or from our, for for our patients, than simply a you know zero to 10 or maybe not qualifying it or quantifying it at all. Um, and this is just an open-ended question. I don't think, um, I, I don't know how you do what you do um, with your patients. So just a thought. Yeah. Um, I personally hate the pain skill um, just because everyone's so different on, on pain tolerances. And, you know, I hate using the terms as far as like I have high pain tolerance, low pain tolerance, but to an extent, there's some legitimacy there. Um, and I know for me, my pain tolerance is pretty high. And so I'm like, if I'm feeling anything, I need to start assessing it and figuring out what's going on. Because if I'm feeling this, it means it's probably a lot worse than it is. So <laughs> I'm not a fan of the pain scale um, for that reason. But I think it's important to like, start learning how to describe pain better because that I think is what gives us more information. Is it a pinching, a pulling, a burning, an aching, like sharp, dull, how you describe pain tells a lot more as far as for what the body is doing and what might be dysfunctional in the body than just giving it a number. Yeah. Com complete agreement. Um, and I, am not a huge fan of the the VAS or the zero to 10 or whatever pain scale um, as well. Um, because yeah, I mean, what is it? 
what is it telling us, right? You know, a woman who's experienced childbirth, you know, and is coming into me a couple of years later for back pain. Like, I mean, how do you compare, you know, that that's a new 10 <laughs> that that person had yeah. probably, you know, not, uh, not experienced before. Um, and uh, it can also get very conflated because, you know, people who have chronic pain, I mean, it's like, well, it, it's always a four. And so what do you do? Do you now put that four as a, as a zero, you know, and, and, and yeah, what, what do you do with that? Um, I, you know, I've been trying to kind of figure this out as well. You know, I've started to use somewhat of a um, disability scale, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, how disabled do you feel um, like you are now, you know? Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I think it's more applicable to, to people, right? You know, getting up from a, um, you know, being on my chest to my feet, you know, like a burpee kind of thing in under a tenth of a second for me is not that big of a deal. I don't really care if I can or if it takes me a quarter second to do. For someone who surfs, that's a huge deal, right? You know, so so that person's disability scale has been significantly increased um, if they can't do the things they want to do. Um, and and also speaking as far as like you know description of pain yes that that's the bread and butter right there right um because a tingly pain has a different treatment approach than a you know um than that achy pain it tells us a lot of different things mm -hmm. um and so that's why it's really important as we always go back to i think every podcast is that we need to make sure we're listening to our people you know and not just checking boxes or whatever you know i think the subjective component is is in my opinion the most important part you know of an evaluation yeah i like that disability scale idea and it's something i, I kind of had forgotten about but um it's a good reminder because it is like people like being able to do things is going to be different for every person um it may not be important for one person to pick something up off the floor but the mother who has a little toddler at home, like they need to be able to pick up something from the floor. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be, I think that is a better, a better way to kind of set your goals and kind of figure out what's, what's really important to be addressed and, and all that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's all important, right. You know, um, and luckily, you know, um, as you know, being private pay physical therapists, like, you know, we have the ability to go outside of like the insurance confines because all they care about is, oh, like, where was their subjective pain at a month ago? Where is it at now? Okay, cool. We can stop paying. <laughs> Get them out of there. Oh, it's they can four. walk across the parking lot. They're good now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. Oh, but like I wanted to run a marathon again. Yeah. Not our problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, I, you know, my goal, our sorry, our goal, you know, is not just simply to get our patients back to, you know, seventy five percent or whatever. We want to get them to one hundred and twenty five percent. So it allows us to kind of um, assess things in, in in different ways when outside the confines of insurance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you start? teaching people how to assess their own pain. And I, I'm thinking more of like, we're coming off of injury, we're starting to reintroduce activity and something is felt somewhere. How do we start, how do you teach them to start assessing themselves as far as like, 
is this just because things are working again? Is this because we're actually working muscles we didn't before? Or is this something I actually need to pay attention to because we might be re-injuring something? Hmm. That's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, typically how I initially start trying to make the interpretation of their pain, you know, really kind of get them, get that in the forefront of their brain is on the initial evaluation, I'll ask them to vividly describe to me what their pain feels like. And I'll say as an example, <clears throat> you know, um, some people have said it feels like someone like a blacksmith is taking a hot iron rod and putting it through, you know, whatever tissue was affected, right? And that starts getting, in my opinion, that starts getting people down a different kind of road of really thinking deeply about their pain as opposed to superficially, oh, it hurts, right? That doesn't give anybody any information, but really start, you know, getting them tunneling in on what their pain really feels like, how they can, you know, make it as an analogy or, or a metaphor or simile or something like that. Um, I've been, you know, pretty successful in starting that process. Okay. I like that. Just to, it's a good way to, to do that. And I'm sure you get some pretty good descriptions that way too. Oh, I get some, <laughs> it, it, It's my favorite part of the evaluation. I've gotten, oh, my, my ankle pain feels like, you know, it was like when you go to the Bahamas or whatever, the little snapping turtles, it feels like it's, it's they're, they're nibbling on my ankles. Like, wow. <laughs> that, that is awesome and it's 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 so unique to that person right um which obviously is the most important thing um how they feel about it yeah. it's not about how i feel <laughs> you know so um yeah and and then you know kind of moving forward it's keeping those kind of you know i'm not always digging down the vivid descriptions from then on out but you know really having them think deeply is it an ache when it was a burning, you know, has your pain hopped from side to side? Cause that, you know, um, I think is very empowering for people. Oh yeah, like they said it was stenosis um, in my lower back on the left side. And I'm like, okay, well like, where's your pain? Oh, my pain actually jumps to the right side sometimes. Okay, well like, is it due to the stenosis in your back or, you know, is there something else going on, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and, and we start kind of going down that, that empowerment route. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big, like, not always is pain changing a good thing, but the majority of time, especially if you've started that rehab process or that recovery process, that rebuilding process, usually a change in pain is a good thing. It's normally like something's working differently. The body's moving differently. Um, and like, like I said, not all the time, but a lot of times when it's a different pain than one that was before, um, it's a good thing. Yes. And, you know, I, I think um, we need to actually, I, you made me realize something, be a lot more verbal about, you know, hey, maybe throughout our treatment, our, your, your pain might change, right? Mm -hmm. Because obviously everyone's, most people are seeing us because they have pain and they want it to go away. And it's like, hey, an evolving pain is a great metric for us. Um, you know, and it's your body kind of body's kind of way of settling in um, to all this new stuff because we throw some, you know, different stuff at them. You know, yeah. we're re reteaching people how to move, you and I. 
Yeah, I think it's important up front and, and I forget to do it sometimes myself, but I think it's important up front to, you know, explain that, that the pain will likely change. Um, and also really get them to understand like the highs and lows that as we test new things, like we might flare up and that's just how the peaks and valleys of the, the rebuilding and rehab process works, but it's okay. Like it's part of the process. Yeah. We, we always expect the, um, from the patient perspective, the, the rehab process being some linear progression, right? You know, a, a gentle incline. Um, however, it really looks more like a, uh, you know, three-year-old's drawing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> right? <laughs> I need to get a three-year-old to... So true. to yeah, I need to get a three-year-old to, to draw some crayon on a piece of paper so I can frame it in my office. I think right. <laughs> this one is going to like it's not just this like peak and valley ground going up. All of a sudden it's like we're way back here. <laughs> and then we're way up here. Exactly. And you know, that hopefully happens, you know, is in the span of like a day or something like that, right? Um, which is good because their symptoms are shortening if yeah. there is an exacerbation or being more dampened, the volume knob is being turned down. But hey, we need to have good expectations as to what we're getting into. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Matthew Perry, this was an awesome conversation again, as usual. We will definitely be doing it again in the future. Um, for anyone who has not tuned into our conversations before, where can they find you at? Well, first of all, if you haven't tuned into our previous conversations, you gotta, you gotta do it. <laughs> we have so much fun on this podcast. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, my company is uh, AutoNest Therapies. We're located in San Diego, more specifically Scripps Ranch, committed to your autonomy, happiness, and wellness. Uh, my goal is to really teach, empower, and resolve, you know, my patients, you know, issues. Um, you can find me um, on all social media. If you uh, type in A-U-T-O hyphen N-E-S-S therapies with an I-E-S, you can find me. Awesome. Thank you again for your time today. And this has been fun. Yes. Thanks for having me on, Brianna. I appreciate it. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on Highly Functional. Before I go, I want to talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope, efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's going to be a lot more difficult to climb. You're going to use a lot more energy and you have more chance of failing. So if you want to be more efficient with your rope climbs in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com slash courses, along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today. And now it's time to go out and be highly functional.